and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning once again. Um, I am Scully Knight. I'm the chaplain at the Episcopal School of Baton Rouge in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have been out here for this entire month. Um, and so I, I, I sometimes, in the sermons that I've done out here, I've asked questions and I expected answers because I'm used to talking to kids in chapel. But I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question this morning to start off. So please don't shout out your answers. Um, and the question is, uh, what are you afraid of? What frightens you? What scares you? Um, which maybe is a little bit heavy, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back in a second. And if your initial reaction was, well, I'm not afraid of anything, that's probably not a good answer because there are things that we are afraid of that keep us alive, right? If you're walking around out here and you see a sign that says, be bear aware, have your bear spray, and you're like, I'm not afraid of any bear, that might come back to haunt you. That might not work out so well. If you said, I'm afraid of everything, that's probably not great either. That, that's, that's not where we ought to be as human beings living in this world, but to some degree, Seems understandable these days in some ways. Um, I, I mainly teach, um, I teach in class middle school kids. I have, I've been in schools for 29 years, both as a teacher and a priest and a chaplain. And the one group that is the constant in all of those 29 years are middle school kids. Now, that may be your fear in and of itself. <laughs> but I love them and they're great. Um, as what did you say earlier? A, a seventh grader on a good day can solve any problem in the world? I, I, I might believe that. Um, but it has been fascinating to me to watch over time the fear that those kids have on a daily basis. And I don't, I'm not talking about any certain demographic or socioeconomic group, but a middle school child is so completely wrapped up in trying not to make a mess of whatever it is they're doing. They don't want, they don't want the attention on them. They, they, it, it's just, they're so worried about what other people think at any given moment or how things might go right or wrong. It is, it is, an interesting group to deal with, to, to see that fear in a way lift out um, and still be able to function at a fairly high level is, is fairly impressive. The reason I bring up that question today, and I hope I haven't sent you off thinking about something going on in your life that might be causing you some sort of fear or anxiety, is that the single most repeated command in Scripture, not commandment, not law, but the single most repeated command in Scripture is do not be afraid. We hear it over and over again today. You might not have even really processed it as we went through it. In the reading from Genesis, which there is so much more going on in the reading from Genesis than we even read, and it was a long reading, but if you don't know the background, I'll, I'll give it to you quickly. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a child for a long, long time. They were very old when they eventually had Isaac. So some point along the line, Sarah knew how important it was for Isaac to have a firstborn son and have an heir. And she said, you can go have a child with my slave girl, Hagar. Not really consulting Hagar in the process, but that's a whole other issue we won't deal with today. Um, and he did. And they had Ishmael. 
And so Abraham had a son. And then, as we read last week in the, the lesson from Genesis, these three strangers come through. Abraham is very hospitable to them. And they say, God is going to bless you and your wife and you're going to have a son. And Sarah's like, ha! She literally laughs and says, that's never going to happen. I'm 100 years old. Then they do. They have Isaac. Fast forward to today. Keep in mind, this was Sarah's idea. Sarah looks out and sees her son with Isaac, her son with Abraham, Isaac, playing with Ishmael, Abraham's son with Hagar, and says, yeah, they got to go. We, you got to get Hagar and Ishmael out of here because I don't want my son not getting his inheritance the way a firstborn son would because it's going to be split up with Ishmael with this son that you had with Hagar. And Abraham doesn't say, wasn't that all your idea? He just says, okay. And it's interesting, the first time we kind of hear this do not be afraid message, God says to Abraham, don't be distressed. I'm going to handle this. Don't worry about it. Do what I tell you to do. Do what your wife said, which is always good advice. And send them on their way. So that's kind of one thing. And then when Hagar and Ishmael are out in the wilderness and are dealing with, I mean, above and beyond being a single mother with a child who was a slave who's just been sent away with no family or anything, but they're facing starvation, thirst, exposure. And God says to her, don't be afraid. We're going to take care of this. In the reading from Romans, it's not as, it, it doesn't just say, do not be afraid. But to me, there is this implied message of Paul constantly is saying, yes, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the resurrection of Christ. But you cannot be baptized into the resurrection of Christ unless you are baptized into the death of Christ also. This is going to be part of the equation. It's not something you should be afraid of. It's something you should expect. It's part of it. We're all going to go through death and resurrection. That's what we are. That's the people that we are. That's the way our lives work. Not just once. We don't just have this one moment where we experience the loss of something or a death or the end of something. It happens all the time. It can happen daily. This this ebb and flow of death and resurrection. So there's this underlying message in Paul's letter of don't fear that part of this. Don't fear that part of your life in Christ. The death and the resurrection go hand in hand. And then there's the, the Gospel reading where Jesus just out and out says at least four times, I think, to the disciples, don't be afraid. And there's this idea that like, this is not going to be easy. It's not all going to go great for you. I would love to tell you that it is. But it's just not. There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be times where you have to stand up. And you have to stand up and say what it is I've taught you and what it is you believe. And all this about God's love and God's kingdom. And sometimes people aren't going to want to hear it. And sometimes those people are going to be your parents or your children. People that live in your house. And you're going to have to say it anyway. Because that's what I'm calling you to. And so we hear throughout the scriptures today this refrain of don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
And I think the meanings of that can be a little different. It's not always exactly the same. So in the Genesis reading, there is a sense of God's message saying, don't be afraid, I will provide for you. It's a message of providence. Even to to Abraham, it's like I promised you, we made this covenant, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in heaven, as the sand on the seashore, and Abraham might be saying, you're telling me to send this one son away. How is this going to work? And God is like, I am going to take care of that. I will provide. I will provide for you. I will provide for Isaac. I will provide for Hagar. And I will provide for Ishmael. I will provide. Don't be afraid. And for Hagar specifically, I mean, Hagar lays her child down and walks away so she doesn't have to watch him die. I can't fathom what that would be like. And then God comes to her and says, you know, don't worry, I'll make a great nation of your son too. And I got to imagine her response at that point would be like, that's fine, we need water. <laughs> like, the great nation thing is great, but we got needs right now. And then I may read more into this than there may be. But in the scripture today, it says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well. It doesn't say God went and popped a well down right in front of her or God filled her water skin with water. God was able to make her, through her fear, see what had been provided for her and what was there all along. I can hang on to that. That's something that I can work with. So if we think about that first reading, maybe what God is saying in Do Not Be Afraid is that God will provide. So in the second reading from Romans when we keep hearing about this this cycle of death and resurrection, what I hear is, do not be afraid, I will be present with you. In the good times and in the bad times. You are not left alone when things don't go well. When you experience a real loss, when you experience the loss of of a dream, that's something in the future that you're hoping for. If you have to let go of something in the past, if it is any kind of loss where we have to sort of let go and and grieve, that is a death. But out of that will come resurrection, and God says, I will be with you through all of that. The good and the bad, the up and the down, the death and the resurrection. So when we hear in that second lesson, do not be afraid, I think of presence. God's presence with us no matter what. And in the third lesson, the gospel, when I, hear, when I hear God say, when I hear Jesus say to these disciples, do not be afraid, it is not a message of it's all going to be okay. In fact, it's a message of it's not all going to be okay. It's going to be difficult and it's going to be challenging, but it is right and it is good. And it is the work you are called to do. Do not be afraid because you're doing what I called you to do. It says, stand up. Say the things that I've told you to say. And there are going to be times when you are going to come up against powers, people of powers of greed, powers of injustice, powers of cruelty and bigotry and hatred. And you need to still stand up and say what I've told you to say about God's radically inclusive love for everyone. 
And there are going to be people who do not want to hear that. And you need to stand up and say it anyway. Because that's the call. That's the ministry. That's the love of God, and that's what it really looks like. And it could cost you everything. It could cost you your family. It could cost you your place in society. It may eventually cost you your life. And to that small group of disciples, for most of them it did. But we are called to stand and proclaim that kind of love to the world that so desperately needs it. God never, never promises us that if we are a faithful person and we try to do the best we can, that everything in our life will go great. It's just not in there. You can open up the Bible wherever you would like and try to show it to me, but it's not there. In fact, what God promises us is difficulty and challenges. But God promises to provide for us, to be present with us, and to be there with us as we live out that call to do that work in the world. So today, as we hear that message, as we come to this table to be filled with the body and blood of Christ, we're reminded, do not be afraid. And there's more to not being afraid than the sort of negative way that statement is is put out there. It also means to be courageous. Be courageous doesn't mean not having fear. Being courageous means knowing that there are things to fear and doing it anyway. That's, That's courage. That's what it is to not be afraid. To go out into the world knowing that you're going to face hardships and challenges and that God will provide and be there and that you are doing the work that God has called you to do. So as we hear this refrain today, do not be afraid. Remember that God will provide and that God will be present and that we are living out God's call in our lives to a broken and hurting world. Amen. Amen. Amen.